Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. For humans new to this program, it is a place where we bring together the world's leading thought leaders on all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's beautiful guest was J.P. Sears. He is a dear friend of mine. Uh, In this conversation, we get into the way that humor uh, affects our mind, affects our bodies. Uh, We get into the way that our homes and our environments form our thoughts uh breathing practices all sorts of great stuff it was recorded at his home in austin texas and uh, jp is phenomenal he is i don't know how many millions of views and people are following along with his stuff Uh, he is a comedian he is a i would say he's a philosopher Um, he is a czech practitioner and um, he's a brilliant human being. I truly mean that. Um, so grateful for you guys following along in this journey. Uh, if you have interest in starting the five day movement challenge where you can learn how to integrate more effective movement into your daily life, you can jump over to alignpodcast.com. On there, you can find the book, you can find links to the show and the show notes and all the things that you need to go deeper into this conversation. I wanted to thank Organifi for supporting this podcast. Organifi is a phenomenal company that delivers some of the best supplements that I have come across. Um, they are all USDA organic, they're gluten-free, they're dairy-free, they're vegan. Um, holding my hands right now, the coconut and ashwagandha infused green juice. I actually put some of this in my smoothie today before I go for a run, and I love this stuff. It has all the green stuff you would need. Uh, it's got matcha, I'm reading it right now, wheatgrass, spirulina, chlorella, uh, all the good stuff, and makes you feel great, and it tastes delicious, and it, it is an amazing addition to any smoothie, or you can just put it in some water uh, by itself as well, flavor up your water. Uh, you can get yourself 15% off on your purchase of anything over at Organifi by using the Align code. So go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and then use the Align code at checkout, and you'll get yourself a sweet 15% discount. Um, This was a co-released episode, so this released over at JP's podcast as well. Uh, I believe it's called Awaken with JP. Um, He's an amazing interviewer. He's an amazing conversationalist. And uh, I wanted to share this with you guys on this end as well. Um, So check out JP's work. He's amazing. Uh, His book, How to Become Ultra Spiritual, has been out. I think it's been out for a couple of years now. He's got endorsements from Tony Robbins and all sorts of amazing people. Uh, He's great. I know you're going to love this conversation. And uh, enjoy. Here we go. Back to the show with JP Sears. Align Podcast. Aaron Alexander, you and that beautiful voice. <laughs> hey, brother. So right before we jumped on, you took me through uh, breath work. Mm. And the only other time I've done something like that was with Mark Devine. He's a Navy SEAL, awesome dude. And yeah. and um, this was my best experience. And I, I think before I tell you what I experienced, it's really freaking groovy. So what the hell were we doing and what did that do to us? Yeah. Yeah. So we, I mean, we essentially just did some essentially hyperventilating ourselves and then playing with breath holds, mm-hmm. um, now called Wim Hof uh, mm-hmm. method. So Wim Hof is the one that invented respiration. Is that <laughs> 
what kind of what we give them credit for nowadays. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever really been breathing until I discovered Wim Hof's YouTube channel. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Um, yeah. Um, well, so we dumped a whole bunch of CO2, and then we played with some breath holds after that. So essentially we were, we were doing, uh, like large inhalations and then through our mouths and then just kind of letting the breath out. We did that for about 30 repetitions. Uh, and then on the last exhalation, we breathe all of our air out and then hold that. And then on the next inhalation, we breathe all of our air back in and then hold that and then take another couple normal breaths and then do that sometimes three times that time we did it a couple times. Um, and you know, it's shown to make your blood more alkaline. Essentially, is I mean, it? the big thing is it's, it's just a, it's like a autonomic nervous system reset wherever you were at before. Um, now you're kind of at more of like a parasympathetic baseline is what I'm shooting for. So we're shooting for when yeah. I don't know, the world that does that stuff is shooting for, I think. That's cool. Um, one uh, aside from like I, I do feel charged, not charged in a like sympathetic, like stressed, excited, yeah. but I, I feel charged in a solid, like I feel more solid in my physical and mental bodies. Mm-hmm. And and one of the like little stoke factors I got, like when we held our breath out when we did the 30 inhalations, exhalations, the kind of the hyperventilating, then yep. exhaled it all out, held the out breath. It, it shocked me how long uh, I could hold it mm-hmm. because I, cool? I mean, I don't do this practice regularly, though I think I will. And then, I mean, I would guesstimate a minute and it, it, yeah, it felt effortless. And then the next breath in, we held that and that seemed like it was a minute easy. Yeah. And, and you can go much longer than that too. Yeah. I, I sure. heard a lot of people reporting like four minutes and yeah when with practice so that's pretty freaking groovy and you have do you have something like that in the yeah. new book yeah, i actually had whim review parts of the chapter um that another guy called patrick mccowan review and help edit with the whole one of the one of the chapters is is all about nose re- breathing uh it gets into breath in general it's just for most the most part nose the nose is the 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 system that's built to breathe for at least the first like I, I break it down to like a gear systems approach which i got from brian mckenzie another guy that's like a breath aficionado who also reviewed the chapter um but most of us uh you see a lot of people kind of like sluggish type of folks maybe perhaps they might have like a receding chin and kind of they might be uh, not in the best of shape oftentimes what you'll see with that person is their breathing patterns will often be in their mouth yeah. like pretty quick you know they go on a brisk walk and they're always trying, <sighs> yeah and that that breathing pattern like your nose one thing increases nitric oxide production in your bloodstream. So it goes back through that paranasal cavity. It's literally actually gathering nitric oxide that gets distributed through your bloodstream. Nitric oxide is something you can get at, at, you know, on it. They have like a nitric oxide supplement, like beetroot and all this different stuff. So then you don't have to breathe. <laughs> you just don't need to breathe, you know. Cool. And so it's like, I mean, you can, when I was into bodybuilding back in the day, that was like, we'd want like NO2 supplements and such because you wanted to get like the pump. You know, it's you're doing, you're buying all these cheap bullshit supplements that you're taxing your liver and whatnot. Meanwhile, I was at the time, certainly not breathing in a way that was productive towards, towards that production. So there's typically like with most things, 
Um, you don't need to spend a lot of money or seek out fancy technology for, I think, most things we're looking for, at least at least from like a health perspective. And breath is like a, a really great, simple, free tool. It's uh, interesting how insanely free it is. And, <laughs> and insanely free. <laughs> and for how free it is. I, I love the fact that like it's becoming hip now. You know, of course, everybody's heard of Wim Hof and... I haven't taken his stuff. I've heard great things about it from friends who have. You've got powerful info in your book on breathing. So I love the fact like you can't really make a crap load of money selling breathing, though I'm sure Wim Hof yeah, he's, gets he's, his fair share. He's, he's all right. But nonetheless, like there's no breathing industrial complex where someone's trying to, you know, just make billions off it. So I love the fact like we're we're being handed the essentially the sovereignty of our own breath back to us because uh, so many of us, like you said, do breathe out of our mouths. And, you know, one of my favorite comedians, do you know Bill Burr? Of course. He's one of my favorite comedians. Yeah. He's excellent, man. You know, on his podcast, he's always referring to mouth-breathing morons. Yep. So we can cure our mouth-breathing moronness. Yeah. And it literally changes the facial structure of a person as well. So, like, any type of, like, orthodontal issues, especially as a young person, um, with your tongue, like, you can play with it now as you're breathing. If you breathe through your mouth your tongue will kind of drop down to the bottom of down course. Of your jaw. Other, otherwise, like it bro- blocks your airway if you're breathing, breathing yeah, through your Right, mouth. exactly. Yeah. So you literally can't get that tongue up into that roof. Yeah. You know, they, if you go like more of like Eastern perspective, you call it like the completing the, the microcosmic orbit, yep. the governor channel in the central, you know, you're creating that electrical loop through your body. Or you could look at it from more of like a Western perspective, um, which would I mean both perspectives are sharing, sharing uh, ideas. Uh, and you could look at that tongue as literally acting as like a, a retainer for your upper jawline. You know, so when you push that tongue up, it's really pushing those teeth out. Whereas our facial muscles, they're all kind of pulling in. Yeah. And so if you just allow that, those facial muscles to kind of have their way, they'll start to narrow that jawline. Yeah. And so I grew up with like this bell curve jaw, whereas I had, it was like pushed into the middle. I had to get this thing like, do you know what I'm talking about? You put it... Yep. You twist, twist the key. Yeah, it's terrible. You like feel your face cracking. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, do you I, have one of those? I, I'd never had one of those. I had a regular retainer. And to your point, so you're saying when we're breathing optimally through our nose, our tongue essentially naturally rests on the roof of our mouth, yep. and that helps essentially our cranial facial structure develop appropriately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know who Paul Check is. Yeah, yeah, I've done several episodes with him. Okay, awesome. And I started training with him and then eventually teaching for him, but started training with him when I was 20. And he teaches a lot on breathing and I won't pretend like I like have everything retained. I haven't been actively doing check practitioner stuff for a long time. But, um, you know, he talks about each time we breathe in, there's a slight expansion of our tongue. And when it's on the roof of our mouth, it's therefore doing exactly what you're talking about helping our faces develop properly yeah yeah it's 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 uh and there's so many different things like you could look at your tongue you know the environment of your of your your mouth affects the structure of your body then you could expand beyond that and look at the environment of your your home or your office or your travel or you know we're always being formed by our worlds yeah you know it's like so your house acts this is a bit of a jump but your house acts as like a retainer for your mind and your body as well Hmm. 
right. Say more. I like that. <laughs> you know, so so one of the chapters in the book is is all about spending more time on the ground and the value of that. You know, so if you look at cultures that that toilet on the ground or sleep on the ground or eat on the ground, um, they have minimal to no incidence of osteoarthritis of their hips, of their knees. Pelvic floor disorders aren't as much of a thing. Fall risk, which is the number one leading risk for elderly needing assisted living. You know, I fall and I can't get up. That's just not even like a conversation anymore. You know, so when we go into these easy boy recliner and then into the car and into the desk, staring at the computer screen and onto the plane, and onto the bus, all starting right after you were beginning like your developmental patterns as a child, you're extending your back and you're cross crawling and yeah. then you're squatting and then you're standing and then you're plopped into a stroller yeah. and then you get plopped into a car seat and then you start kindergarten, you're plopped into this desk and then you start having the forward head posture and then we give you Nike sneakers that raise your heel up. Now we're throwing this whole complicated equation into your system. Um, and then we start, you know, pharmaceutical drugs start coming in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then street drugs, too. And then street, well, street drugs, for the most part, those are probably... Anyways. <laughs> it, it, to your point, in your book, and by the way, just for everybody, uh, the book, The Align Method, Five yeah. Movement Principles for a Stronger Body, Sharper Mind, and Stress-Proof Life by Aaron Alexander. Mm. Forward by Kelly Starrett. Do you know Boom. him? You would probably, right? Kelly, Paul I, I, I know. Supple Leopard? You have a Supple Leopard? I know, I know the name. Never yeah. met him in person. Anyways. But to your, bu- uh, to your point in the book, you, you have this beautiful reference, which I think really drills the point home of that Indian, I don't know if he's a saint, but yeah. just that Indian guy. And I, I think a lot of people have seen pictures of him, this guy who's held one of his arms above his head for like 10 years in devotion to God or whatever he calls God. And because he hasn't used his arm, it's frozen there. It's like calcified. He's literally lost the use of his arm. And the way I read it, that was a beautiful, you know, extreme reference, but beautiful example of showing what happens when we don't use our bodies when, when, you know, you talk so much about the floor culture, when we're not getting up and down off the floor, we're, you know, the toilet is raised, the seats are raised, we sit on a chair at work, then we, I mean, we lay down in bed, but like we're doing that from the sitting posture because the bed's raised up off the floor. So, you know, I think as an example of what happens to our ankles, our knees, our hips, when we're not using them in like the full three dimensions that they're meant to be used in, you know, we can kind of become stuck and rigid like this saint you're talking about. But then when you reference these other cultures where they eat on the floor, they do things on the floor and oddly enough, they don't have osteoarthritis. Anyway, long story short, I thought no, that, I that Indian saint was a re- it really drilled the point home in my mind in a way like nothing else. Yeah, his name's Amar Bharati. He held his arm up for for uh, was it Shiva? He's holding his arm up for. I have Shiva. it. I have it in there. Who is Shiva? By the I don't way? even know. That's what I was saying. I was like Shiva. Yeah, Shiva. <laughs> Shiva's probably like what? a who's Shiva? Probably some matter. Instagram influencer. <laughs> with that. So it's like a bikini model I does a lot of thong up shots. In the name of Shiva. Cool. Anyways, the and important if part. If we've offended the, any Shiva, the orthopedic conversation here. <laughs> he was holding his arm up in the name of some of, of I think let's just call it Shiva. Anyways, um, sounds like a cat. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a cat? Like a cat god? 
<laughs> so he had his arm up for over over forty years. And no, forty years. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I think Christ. he's still got I think he's still kicking. I think it, he's still he's still up. I would imagine that arm yeah. is gonna be up as long as he has a heartbeat. <laughs> but it's so what's interesting with that, what you see is his arm essentially becomes like this this statue, you yeah. know, and that and the tissue the tissues all atrophy and harden, calcify, and it's just like this stick above his head. Yeah. You know, and the that seems very extreme. Um, but when you think of the amount of time pound for pound that we've spent in these dysfunctional positions that go against our structural alignment, like most people, if you ask them to touch their toes or get down to the ground or reach their arms up overhead, they can't do that without blowing out their lower back and then potentially risking a disc herniation. Yeah. You know, and so that's because you've created structural change to the degree that like, oh, you just don't have that movement anymore you know, it's not quite as extreme as your arms stuck up above your head like that. Um, but at a lower level, we're doing the same thing, you know, and I reference in the, I think maybe the same chapter where I mentioned Amar, um, the, uh, in China where they, they're doing the foot binding or, you know, in Thailand where they're wearing the rings around their neck to protect from lion bites or because it's beautiful or, you know, whatever the reason. Do they really wear rings to protect from lion bites? That's from what I read. That was, that was one of the potential reasons. There was a bunch of different reasons. I like that optimism. I would think if (laughs) you're getting bit by a lion, there's nothing you can do that would protect you other than not getting bit by a lion. But I wouldn't know. I'm not a lionologist. But when you look at that, you're, I'm sure you're well uh, familiar with Joe Campbell and and the process of detribalization. JC, bro. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, You know, so he gets into the value of detribalizing yourself. You know, we were talking about the rite of passage before this and, you know, bow skills and whatever guy stuff. Um, You know, that if you do go to another country or go to another culture, you'll see stuff that seems super weird, you know, but then when you go back to your own culture, if you do get, become accustomed to that other place, you go back to your own, you're like, I'll be damned. Like, uh, like we were weird. Yeah. Like we're all very strange. And if you go back to your culture, you're not used to, you know, women wearing high heels or men using steroids or all these artificial perfumes that are causing all sorts of strange hormonal issues. And like, there's so many things that we do to kind of like, I don't know, protect guard, you know, it's, it's very, all the cultures are weird, Yeah, you know, and what we're doing with, with, uh, our movement, you know, if you step back and look at it from like a 30,000 foot view, you're like, I'll be damned. Like this whole chair thing is pretty strange. It's super strange. Something I always notice at airports and I point it out to my wife anytime we're there because it, it's like it one part irritates me and nine part amuses the hell out of me. And that's, you know, like the moving walkways, people will be cruising through the airport. As soon as they hit those, they stop moving their legs. I know. I love the moving walkways, but I keep walking. Yeah. Yeah. They, you <laughs> feel a like Superman. Up, yeah. And same, same, thing, same thing with escalators. And I'm not talking about people pulling a, like a carry-on bag behind them on escalators. I'm talking about people just walking. Maybe they have a backpack on. They hit the escalators and they stop walking. That is so obviously weird where we have crystallized this delusional idea that it's a luxury to 
be immobilized. Like, give me the chair. It's more luxurious than sitting on the floor. Oh, let me not use my own legs because it's more luxurious to let this machine cart me along while I let my body calcify together. And, and the, the, to me, that's very weird, even though I was obviously raised in this culture. And I think we're reaching the point where the tides are turning on that because now it's like a lot of us look at like, wow, a stand-up desk. Mm-hmm. That's a luxury. Yeah. So we're realizing like our legs and our ability to move our body, it's a great gift. We don't have to vilify manual labor. Here's a thought that I've never thought of before. Aaron, tell me if this is 100% true because it will be. <laughs> I'm ready. You know, we. I think in the West, we probably all come from a time of manual labor, farming, bricklaying, where it's like white collar stuff used to not exist. But when white collar stuff became uh, in existence, you get like businessy people, office jobs, paperwork, people who are essentially leveraging the labor of other people. I could imagine, wow, that white collar stuff, it, that's looked at as the luxury because the rest of us, we're outside, we're cold, we're muddy, we're breaking our backs all day. So because it was so fresh for generations, everybody was doing manual labor. Now the escape from that is like, wow, it's a luxury to not have to do that shit. Yep. But now that we've had the white collaredness in our world for, I mean, well over 100 years, maybe longer, um, now I think I'm, at least my personal feel is like, that is now at the other end of the extreme where it's like anti-luxury having to sit in a chair all day and, but give me the ground. Give yeah. Me, it's always a middle ground. Yeah. 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 It's like, um, I think what people need is just a little bit of momentum you know, we need like a little bit of a push. You know, yeah. that was, I was reading about like uh, certain free range chickens, you know, and it's like on the label, it's like, oh, they get time in the field. They have access to the field. You know, meanwhile, they're in this dark barn and then they open up, open up the little door and like, okay, guys, you got, you get your field time, you know, and they're like, I'm not fucking going out there. Yeah. Cause they're not used to, it. you know, like the lights, it's like blinding my eyes, <laughs> you know, and the crickets, they could kill me. Like, I don't yeah. want like, uh-uh, I'm staying right here. I'm staying put, you know? And so I think what the, the way that I wrote the book was in such a way that it's essentially giving people, you know, a myriad of bite-sized little tidbits that they can start introducing into their life just to gain a little bit of momentum. You know, and so something that's like really simple would be, you know, we talked about the breath stuff. We talked about maybe spending, you know, drink, you check your text messages or check your emails or drink, eat your breakfast or drink your tea, you know, sitting on a comfy rug with like a Moroccan poof cushion or maybe get a foam roller, just throw some pillows down there. Yeah. You know, and in that process, you'll start to mobilize your hips enough, circulate your fluids enough that you're like, damn, like. I think I could do some yoga. Yeah. I'm like kind of turning into like a yogi in my living room here. Yeah. You know, now you're not, it's not as, as like kind of uncomfortable of a transition to maybe like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do a community class, I think. You know, another thing would be, you know, you become your environment, you know, so if you are doing your work inside of a, a closed room with blank walls, one, your, your brain caches that memory. You know, so when you go into that room, your brain's like, bloop, Cool, sweet. I've already got it. I don't really need to think. Like so I visually, can, I don't need to do much. Interesting. So, so I'll I can kind of, kind of boom, check boom, out. Slow down a little bit. Interesting. Versus going out in nature. You, know, you go out and you say, oh, bird, squirrel, lion. Good thing I have these rings around my neck. <laughs> <laughs> 
do can people get the the rings? Like, do they come with your book? Is it, no, it's on the website. That's cool. Yeah, it's not in the book because it would be, you know, dude, a little awkward. Heart disease, cancer, lion attacks. Yep. The I think that's three number big three. killers in yeah. the West. The WHO. That was yeah. the World Health Organization. I think that was that was yeah. it. Yeah. But I love your idea of momentum. <laughs> in something, I mean, you have stood for this for so long, and now you you beautifully put it in the book. The floor culture, being on the floor. I've never heard other people really like stand for that and advocate it as a way to a better body, a better mind, a, you know, reduce stress. So I, I'm curious when we get to the nuts and bolts of it, obviously being on the floor, it helps us use our hips, our knees, our, you know, ankles in a way they're supposed to be used, you know, keeps range of motion going. What else do, why else are you such an advocate for the floor culture? Mm. I think I, well, so for one thing, I'm kind of like a canary in the coal mine for circulation issues. You know, so I've had uh, varicose veins in my legs since I was like 15. And uh, I recently had surgery. I did like all of the new age shit that I could possibly figure out, rubbed all the oils on, did all the acupuncture, like everything. Come like these veins are just, they're there. And there's nothing yeah. I can do. And so elevating my legs and using compression socks and um, spending time on the ground because it's so much darn better for your circulation has been a real asset for me, you know, and that's what people don't realize in general. It's like, it's, it's a huge asset for everyone. Cause that's the way that your body's been structured to operate since the beginning of human, you know, pre-human, you know, but I think that in large part, specifically with spending time on the ground, um, it's in large part because I could, feel my circulation wasn't as good as it could be. Mm. You know, I'm kind of like an old man in a lot of, you know, like physically. Well, you're 90. <laughs> you, you look younger than 90. Yeah. I've been like, I've experienced like 80 year old tendencies since I was like 16. So I was like, I got to start working on this floor stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody has that same experience, you know, like lymphatic. I know that you know this lymphatic fluid. It doesn't have, there's no heart yeah. on your feet to pump that fluid back up. The yeah. way that it does is through you going through flexion and extension and twists and turns mm -hmm. and massage. And that's naturally what you're doing is you're going through that full range of motion, Yeah, you know, and then with other stuff, um, I think just, I mean, in part to be better at sport, like really giving a shit, like I trained jujitsu for a while, um, dance, you know, and getting into yoga and all that. Like you, obviously not men's sports. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. exactly. Aside from jujitsu. Exactly. Jiu yeah. I grew up playing ice hockey, incredibly insecure, and then got into bodybuilding. And so that was like the original was like just trying to be as manly as I possibly could be you know, and stuffing every supplement in my face. And, you know, I'd like take breaks to the bathroom at least every, if I wasn't fed every two hours, I was like uncontainable. I was like, nope, not how, like I need protein bar now. I'm shutting down. Yeah. You know, and during that time, that's what led into all sorts of injuries was so much imbalance in the form of, you know, packing on muscle to protect some deeper crying child or yeah. scared boy. Um, so just packing on that, got a leather jacket, grew my beard out, started buying beer for my friends, dislocating my shoulders, dislocating my ankles, and chronic how are, stress and pain. It was good. How are you dislocating <laughs> your shoulders and ankles? Because I've dislocated mine, as we were mentioning before we jumped on there, I've dislocated mine four times. But how are you 
doing your shoulders and ankles? I think naturally um, I have a little bit more tissue elasticity than elasticity than, than a lot of people to, for, to start. Um, so that so that would be the beginning point. And then from there, um, add on the insecurity transferred into weightlifting that would just be pumping up the front facing points. Yeah. You know, so culturally we're already all in the front. So we have knee rotation of the shoulders, forward head, posture, upper cross syndrome is a fancier way to say that. Um, and we're kind of like in this little 12 by 12 cube in front of our, our, our bodies. So our shoulders are naturally kind of the head of the humerus is kind of drifting towards the end of that, that socket. Yeah. Now compound that with lots of flies, lots of bench press, lots of bicep curls, um, you know, lots of ab work, quads, just tightening that front chain up and you're like a ticking time bomb for injury. Exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and something about, uh, I'm still on the floor culture and like I'm good, so inspired good, good. like before we jumped on there, you were you were telling me about a hunting trip you're going on in January, your first hunting trip. And when you're talking about like what's exciting to you about it, like being outside and crawling around on the ground is yeah, what man. you said. It's not like, oh, let's get a lot of meat. It's like, oh, yeah, being on the ground. And, and I think that's so, um, yeah, it feels like a back to what really matters. And it's obviously there's a connection with the earth that... Uh, I think we can neglect, but when someone is, you know, raises the objection, like, oh, sitting on the floor, it's uncomfortable for me. Mm. You just need to make it more comfortable. The only reason it's uncomfortable is because you're going too hard. It's like if all of a sudden, you know, I was coaching somebody to do a deadlift and I'm like, okay, cool. Let's just lay four plates on and we're just going to start at 405 and see how it feels. Seems like a good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been a trainer? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm not. Yeah. You know, so it's a similar thing with spending time in that range of motion. Yeah. Anybody just getting up and down off the ground in general, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a good thing. Um, but if you're actually going to spend any reasonable amount of time there, one, make the ground super comfortable. Two, you need to raise your butt up. So your butt needs to be up above the level of your knees. When the butt's up above the level of the knees, those ischial tuberosities, those sit bones, um, they're going to be slightly sitting on the front edge. That's going to set your the rest of your spine and your sacrum up for structural alignment. So it's not going to feel like such a pain in the ass. You know, so that's the big, like the, that rule, if you take anything from this whole podcast and when you're on a chair or a sofa or the ground or anything, do your damnedest to get your butt just, just above the height of your knees. And that'll set your spine up for, for success. <laughs> <laughs> we stand for spinal success. <laughs> <laughs> which is associated to confidence you yeah. know so and, and associated to to uh even like your your postural patterns are connected to the way that you think the way that you feel and the way that you access memories yeah you know so the in, way that you access memories really yeah so says research i mean science is science it, it changes it fluctuates don't like, believe in science yeah <laughs> You keep claiming the earth is flat. It doesn't make any sense. When you set out to create studies, like there's been lots of research around posture and the way that affects your physiology. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, the popular Amy Cuddy stuff, which there's been, you know, contention around that where she was, are you familiar with, with that? The Harvard. No. So her thing was the, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it or heard of it, that, that, that like the power woman posture when you're standing in an upright position like that for just a couple minutes, they took saliva samples. Sure. And I think we might've talked about it on yours last time. Um, anyways, they measured 
cortisol and testosterone levels. And they found that being upright, you know, standard, I call it the aligned archetypal position. Yeah. Um, your testosterone levels go up and then cortisol stress hormones go down. And then the inverse happens in what I call the mopey position in yeah. there. Um, there's been some contention around that. And then they're kind of like, they rebuttled and like, no, it is legit. What is consistent amongst all of the research is that your postural patterns do affect the way that you feel, mm. you know, so confidence levels, creativity, um, you know, all of that, like more of like the, the, uh, what would that be called? Subjective, like that you're like your sense of like, I feel better. Sure. That's consistent. The, one of the studies that I have in there that was I found pretty darn interesting was done San Francisco University. They had people in a hunched over position. And then during that time, they were more, it was easier for them to access more depressive memories. And then they had people go into an upright, like, ah, position. And it's like, oh, wow, like all of a sudden, it's easier for me to remember that time that, you know, whatever. I had that date with that girl and it was was a great experience for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'd Imagine it's like if you grew up being a whatever a high school football player. If someone puts you on a football field, I'd imagine you you get a lot more detailed memory of the games you've played and memories you probably otherwise wouldn't have. And you know, if you were beaten in a basement, then you put someone in the basement, they're probably going to have negative memories. And I, I've heard studies where they, you know, someone smells the same cologne of someone who um, abused them and they go into quite a stress response. And those are extreme examples. One of them I 100% made up, though I do believe that could be true. But just now talking about like, oh, okay, now it's the posture Mm -hmm. that takes you to the memory. And and yeah, anyway, my little rambling Your body, you have all of these anchors, you know, so other stuff I know you're familiar with is like neurolinguistic programming and Tony Robbins stuff. And at least I think that you're familiar Mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, and so things that he gets into is like creating anchors. Yeah. So you posturally, if you go to Tony Robbins seminars, say, show me your move. Yep. All right. Hit your chest or whatever you do, you know, show me your move. You're like, okay, cool. Like that's so easy. I, I believe the preferred nomenclature is make your move. Aaron feels disrespectful Sorry. right oh, now. Oh, Tony did an endorsement for your book. He did. Yeah. That's um, great. It's, yeah, I feel so honored. You are. In fact, um, did I tell you I got to perform for him and his platinum partners at a private no, event? Oh, that'd uh, be fun. It was super thrilling. Yeah, That's great. I think it was last January coming up on a year ago. But yeah, that was certainly a thrill. I feel incredibly honored by him as a human being, of course, so admire him. And my life has certainly been wonderfully enhanced by his work. Yeah, he's interesting, man. He's... Uh, what do you find interesting about him? All sorts of things. I only have positive things to say about Tony, personally, um, yeah. because I don't know anything about his personal life to have any opinion. Yeah. Um, I know that he's a damn scientist. You know, like his ability to um, hold a room and, and keep them in a, in a, um, a, a plastic state, like, yeah. like a neural, neurally plastic state. Um, is really beautiful. Like I think the world in general can learn an immense, like our whole education system can learn an immense amount from just attending some Tony seminars Yeah, and being like, wow, these kids, we were just jamming information down their face when they were done like seven <laughs> hours ago. Yep. But, <laughs> you know, it, and, and I think something you and Tony have in common, you really are aware of how much our physiology affects our 
brains, our minds. And so you mentioned like Tony's always like, yeah, make your move. It's, yeah. You know, when you're sitting in the same room with him for 12 or more hours a day, you know, if you're just sitting in the chair, like 45 minutes into it, cool, you're kind of cooked, you're going to be pretty checked out. But you're not in your chair for probably more than 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes at a time because he's got you up, yeah. jumping up and down, which by the way, try jumping up and down in lousy posture. It's just, you know, it's a movement that facilitates good posture. Yeah, you have to figure it out. That's what babies do. That's why babies are so good at posture. Because of Tony Robbins seminars? That's what I'm trying to say. Dude, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Floods of babies at the... <laughs> It's an untapped market. It is. <laughs> I think that's Tony's primary demographic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, babies do a good job with that that whole posture thing because they don't have so much excessive uh, patterns and, and muscles that are kind of wrapping them in these positions. So they have to gain relationship with gravity. Mm. You know, so that's what Ida Rolf's whole perspective was and the whole, you know, the, the osteopathy in general, which is a lot of what her work come, came from, comes from, came from. Um, Probably both. And she died <laughs> she, oh, of a lion going, attack. Is that I true? think that was it. She didn't have her rings. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. That's yeah. where she the went The line method wasn't out yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so one of her quotes is, uh, once the body comes into alignment with the field of gravity, it begins to heal itself, mm. you know, and that's like, we need to be, I think there's, I think gravity has a bad rap, you know, if it's like, it's pulling you down, man, you got to fight gravity. It's like, yeah. no, like you need to be in relationship with gravity because it heals your cells. If you're in a Tony Robbins concert, yeah. which is essentially what it is. And yeah. you're jumping up and down and having to figure out how to find that stack from your foot to your knee to your pelvis. Yeah. Like that's what babies do so brilliantly because they don't have all of those, those wraps, you know, so they, yeah. all they are is a pure relationship to gravity. And then they start learning. And then that learning process is where the disease starts. There's an Alvin Toffler quote that says you need to, uh, learn, I don't remember what the first parts are, but like the leaders of the world, the future of the world, be those that can learn, unlearn, and relearn. Mm, I like that. You know, so originally kindergarten comes, you know, and the driver near the, the, the baby seat and the stroller and, you know, all of those things happen. You're learning. Now, maybe listen to this podcast, it's a process of like unlearning, you know, blurring into learning, you know, and that's like, okay, how do we apply this stuff? You know, so a starting point of relearning, re-educating yourself would be do like your kids do. Your kids don't sit still hunched over in a chair staring into a screen all day long. You know, they get creative and they weird and they wiggle and they hug each other and they like eat dirt. They go outside and they stare up into trees and they play make-believe. It's a big deal. But speaking of which... Um in your book, you you talk about play, but you talk about several varieties of play. Mm. There's, uh, forgive me if I don't remember them all off the top of my head, but movement play, social play, um, I think imagination play. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different different forms. It's just r reducing down for like a as like an educational model of like. There's a lot of variety here. Yeah. And, and, you know, coming down with a very digestible, like, I think four or five categories of play, that was so helpful to me oh, cool. because I, I'm someone, I love playfulness. It's shit, kind of make a living off of it. Yeah. And 
but I, I, I always think so one dimensionally about playfulness in in seeing your book. It helped open me up to the multi dimensional beauty and opportunity of it because you know just when the term social playfulness, like yes. Like that's something I like I don't hang out with friends nearly enough cuz I can get like dude I'm traveling every weekend and then of course I want some time just me and my wife and then it's like yeah no more time but I feel that the deficit of like social playfulness and I don't realize like yes that's a thing and imagination playfulness and like movement playfulness I think that's probably the thing I have the biggest deficit of cuz I'll exercise and exercise and movement aren't necessarily the same thing. Yep. And, but like then, uh, like just a couple of days ago, I was shooting a basketball with friends for the first time in a long time. I'm like, this is evoking something out of me that hasn't really been evoked mm-hmm. for a long time. I haven't been using the faculty of movement playfulness. Yeah. And it's just, it's like a, a, Honestly, it feels like a rebirth bringing it back into my life. Mm, yeah, that's like, so uh, Stephen Porges is someone who you might have heard of before, polyvagal theory. Until he got killed by the lion attack. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but so, but his research was good before that, before that fateful day. And he, uh, that's one of the things that I learned from him that I point out, I talk about his stuff a lot in the book or a couple times actually in the book and social engagement is the fastest way to jump the ladder to bring your nervous system your own nervous system back into a state of you know parasympathetic rest digest like Hmm. you know a, 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 a more balanced state you know so so many people they can get stuck in this this stress cycle and that connection that's why you you know enjoy spending time with is Amber your wife I think so. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if I didn't know? Like, I don't know. We'll Maybe, to, she we'll might be my mistress. See where you guys are at. Yeah, we got married a year ago. Oh, good. Yeah, so all of those things, um, I mean, it's weird, man. Like we, same as before, like all the tools that we have to access our innate healing capacities and just feel like fucking kids. Yeah. <laughs> like kids do it. They do. You know, we stuff all these layers in the form of like, you know, in our case, like stacking muscles and these linear patterns and then, we put ourselves into these linear boxes and that's kind of like a riff off of Tony's as well. Yeah. You eat your box lunch and you eat your box car and then you're, you're looking into your box and then you, you have a circular can to change your state. <laughs> that's his thing. You know, so we get so accustomed to those boxes. The idea of going into something that's as dynamic as play feels really uncomfortable yeah. and an indication of a really robust, well-oriented, well-adapted adult i think is a is an adult that can find a kid or a puppy or anything and just like woo like have yeah. a good time yeah i love that it's a really big deal you know if 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 you're in that position then it means that you've kind of polished out your corners you know yeah. but most of us in the society that we live in is predominantly like corner linear straight line dominated yeah. and if you're in that society master and his emissary is a good book about this this is a nice one. I highly recommend. Have you checked this one out? I have not. Oh, fuck. Master's Emissary is about, um, I think his name is Nathan McGilchrist. And it's uh, about how the, gets into like the relationship of the hemispheres of the brain, you know? And so when we are more left hemisphere dominant, which they're obviously all like interrelating to do all the stuff that we do, but we're more in that like analytical executive function, get shit done type brain, mm-hmm. um, that will tend to trump 
that more creative, throw paint at the wall, just have fun and dance. Mm. You know, and what you see, so that's what happens at an individual level, what you see on a cultural level, like Western culture at least, um, really similar stuff. Yeah. You know, so there was a time pre, I think like like pagan time where you see like a lot more circles, you hmm. know, and there was a time where the things were a lot more, like the corners were less sharp. Yeah. You know, and then once we create that transition, it's like, no, we do pillars now and we do right angles. Yeah. You don't see that in nature so much, but now it's become the way. And that's what you're indoctrinated since you're a little guy. Yeah. In, in fact, some would say you don't see that at all in nature. There's an Alan Watts quote that I probably won't say the entirety of it yet. It's something along the lines of, Nature only does squiggly lines. Yeah. It doesn't do straight lines. And you can look at something out in nature from a distance. It might look straight. Like if you're far enough away from a tree, you can look at it like that. That looks pretty straight. But you get up. <laughs> nope. All squiggly lines. And, you know, it's like when we have the right angles, like, oh, the well manicured lawn and the landscaping is like, yeah, that that's not how nature does it. Yeah. And then I think you know, as above, so below, uh, inside, outside. And and therefore, I think our internal nature, our true nature, just like you're saying, like, man, more circles, more well, squiggly lines, the, the, the playfulness. Yeah. And then if you are in a, a straight line is more likely to break in nature. You know, the reason mm. that trees don't break is because they're comprised of thousands or tens of thousands or millions of little squiggles that are all balancing off of each other so that the wind blows like we have infinite capacity to bend and wiggle in all these different directions but it's the same thing with a kid they're just a bunch of fucking wiggles so you can huck them down a hill and they go whoa (laughs) i like your i just i just imagine how that could be you perceived as child abuse no i'm not condoning that i'm not condoning that but you're also not not saying that it's not a, not a good idea. Yeah, you know, I'm not, not a, I'm not that. a parent yet. You know, so anything <laughs> that I say in relation to childbearing, disregard. I, yeah, I, I bet the helicopter parents aren't on the verge of like, let's throw Timmy down the hill and see what yeah. happens. There's a. I was reading recently about systems theory and complex systems versus complicated systems. Mm-hmm. You know, so complicated systems are more that of like computers or your car or any of that stuff. You know, so in a complicated system, there's a lot of stuff in there, but you know, you you replace your your tire falls off where you replace the tire. In a complex system, there's a lot of stuff in there, but it's all integrated throughout the whole. Okay. You know, so in a, in a complex system, it actually thrives. It's kind of like the idea of like anti-fragility. You know, so if something's, I apologize for throwing all of this random different like bookie shit out. We should be talking about the align method right now. Anyways. And align attacks. But yeah, line please attack. go on. But so in an anti-fragile system, um, it gets stronger from being exposed to nature, being exposed to exercise, being exposed mm-hmm. to any form of stress. In a more complicated system, your car slow. It's like, oh, that car's got one hundred fifty thousand miles on it. Like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's like your body's like, no, put one hundred fifty thousand miles in that thing. Yeah. You know, so where you fall more into that category of of squiggly complexity, and so we thrive on adaptation, but we we've been brought into a world where we believe that we're a bunch of complicated lines. And then that leads us into potentially physically and psychically breaking, which ends up looking like anxiety, depression, and 
you know, suicide. It's a really dark thing to say, but it's a thing that happens. Yeah, it is that way, isn't it? What do you think are the, the biggest factors that erode playfulness out of people's lives? Fear of lion attacks. Yeah, it's not... It's not a happy matter. <laughs> it's not something to joke That's about. why we walk around all stressed all day. Yeah. I think um, shame is a big thing. Yeah. You know, one, the belief that I can't play. Um, two, I think play isn't doesn't need to be a thing. It doesn't need to be a movement. It could be a perspective. Agreed. You know, 100%. so if you start, you walk into the boardroom and you're the CEO, boss man that calls all the orders or whatever. It's like recognize that, you know, there's a good chance that this life thing is just a big dream. Yeah. You know, or maybe it's a simulation or maybe it's, you know, I don't know what. I recently saw, uh, what is it called? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe. You ever seen that? I have. It was years ago, and I retained nothing from it. But yeah, I right. know Nor it. have I. I re- <laughs> it was days ago, and it was hard to be retained. I want to read because the symbolism, it's good. Um, I just am not smart enough to, to, to keep up, I, and, and I, you know, whatever. Um, but in that, essentially, I think Earth is, like, built by mice, and it's this experiment on humans, and there's, like, these, like, aliens that build planets, and then they, like, ran out of money, so they stopped building planets, and, but anyways, I don't know what the heck this Earth thing is, but I think when you go into your boardroom, you should recognize that, you know, you don't know what the heck this Earth thing is either. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, I, to your point, um... Yeah, I've I've always said playfulness is a state of mind. It doesn't depend on your external circumstances. You don't need the playground in order to play. Though a no. playground once in a while, like, cool, that's an in great intentional way to play. But I, I think playfulness is it's a state of mind and uh, therefore our awareness uh, helps us find, like, what is there to be playful about in this moment? And yeah, I, I've... You can have the executive go goes in there and lightens the mood with a little like a joke. But then when we have our taking things too seriously, like, all right, cool. Now we're constipated with our playfulness, playfulness, nothing's coming out. And yeah. and I think to your point about shame being something that erodes playfulness, I think oftentimes our undealt with shame and fear is what creates the symptom of us being too serious. And then yep. being too serious creates the symptom of there's not enough playfulness. In yeah, we, we, we connote being serious as being in control. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I put on serious suit, you know, it's like I like the idea that, that adults are just a bunch of, of uh, babies wearing adult costumes. 100%, yeah. And you know, we're all operating on systems that we created like pre-six or whatever anyway. Yeah. So when you look, if you start to look, I think that's a good practice, actually. I should have put that in the book. Look at people. I do have... Here, let me give you a pen. Let's put it in the book now. (laughs) I should have put in the book, literally, singular. Um, uh, Well, one of the practices I have in there is to look in people's eyes more regularly. It's like in the the vision chapter. It's just like, do that. Like, check them out. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say. I was excited about something. Doesn't matter. And and I was excited to... It was something about vision. Oh, I know what it is. You should look, not should, that's a terrible word. It's a good idea in my, in my humble opinion to play with the idea as a practical exercise next time you are anywhere having an argument with your wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. Um, look at them as a baby. Hmm. 
you know, and see and like, and, and then maybe play with them looking at you that way as well. Like have a moment with it and just like explore when you walk into the grocery store or someone cuts you off, you know, or beeping at you or flicks you off or whatever. Yeah. Look at them as like a little three-year-old baby driving their Land Rover, you know, and I find when I do start to perceive the world from that perspective more, I don't know, it's at least sillier, but it's also a lot more compassionate. I, I agree. And, and that's something I, I typically don't do that with, with a baby, but looking at people as though they're a young child. I do that babies looking at them as though they're an adult too. Interesting. It's weird. That's, that's definitely <laughs> anyway, trippy. Sorry, bizarre word. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I personally think a lot of, probably 90% of the time, if not more, when we get upset or mad at someone, especially like our fights in our relationships, you know, it's our inner child being, being triggered about some kind of unresolved shame or fear that we still carry around. And, you know, something babies are great at that we're not is they're great with just being emotionally honest. Like if they're upset, they cry. They don't make up two hours of some elaborate story about what happened all as a way to disconnect from their actual feeling inside. Babies will just cry. They'll be mm-hmm. upset. They'll be angry. They'll be afraid. They'll be ashamed. And and I think sometimes it's so hypnotizing, you know, in a conversation or an argument with an adult that I actually get convinced that's an adult. But the the reminder is like, no, like they just like the tree outside, its child is still inside. All the inner rings of the tree are still there. We just don't see them from the outside. And the child is still inside of that adult. And it's probably the three-year-old or the three-month-old child inside right now having a temper tran- tantrum, being afraid, being scared, but it doesn't come out through baby tears. It comes out through misdirected stuff out of the uh, adult's mouth. Yeah. And that can be very misleading. Yeah. That reminds me of a quote from, I don't remember this guy's name. He's considered the father of modern medicine. It was in paraphrasing. He said that the, the, the organs cry, the tears weren't willing to. Oh, Wow. Yeah, and so that that is a strong, strong perspective. I love that. Uh, um, and so that's kind of like uh, you know, babies or little people of any sort are are good at expressing their nature because they're in relationship with gravity. They're in relationship with the trees. They're they're in relationship, you know, with like all this natural stuff. And so when they feel a thing, they're like, ah, it's out. And they're like, okay. Because there's not any shame around like, oh, my face can't look like this or my shoulders can't do that. It's like, you know, but the moment that you, I was listening in on a book by John Sarno, uh, Mind Over Back Pain. Do you know this one? I I haven't read it. would be right up your alley. Yeah. Um, And so in that, one of the references he was talking about was um, essentially this exact conversation of like this woman. And she's like, oh man, like I I got this great, I learned this great idea from my my friend or my doctor that, you know, whenever my baby is like having a tantrum, I just spray some water on his face like a cat. (laughs) I don't know if that actually happened, but it was in the book. And she's like, it worked great. You know, when the baby started to act up and you got the little water thing, they're like, they like, hopefully just sucked it back and kind of put it down. You know, I, I mean, that's what it's in the book. It's, I don't know if it actually happened, but nonetheless, like, the idea 
of it is the relevant thing. And at some point, you learn that if I express myself in this way, I'll get some water yeah. in my face. And it's better for me to suck it down. Yeah. And I'll just deal with this shit another time because this room isn't appropriate. Yeah. And then what Sarno's opinion is, is that 90 odd percent of chronic pain is a manifestation of some form of repressed anger or sadness. Wow. Yeah. That's bold. By the way, that squirt water in the face of the child. That is one degree away from being electroshock therapy. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that is. That's I and I hope that happened. By the way, what what kind of a weak ass millennial baby would that be? Like if it grows up to be traumatized, like, oh, what happened to you? I I had room temperature water squirt on my face when I was a, a baby. It was yeah. too much. Yeah, that is some weak ass shit. You're right, isn't it? Though I never thought of. I thought I, I was all on my high horse of how terrible that was, but now I, I'm like shit, JP. I well, it, it's terrible <laughs> in two ways. It's terrible parenting, <laughs> but if the child gets wounded by it, that's terrible childing. Like that's just a weak child. I think you're right. And a stupid yeah. parent. Start a they deserve each other. Both should be fed to lions. Um, so Shiva <laughs> is a god. It's a lion god. Is he? <laughs> I think Shiva is the burrito god from Mexico, <laughs> undoubtedly. Uh, <laughs> man, man. So I'm curious if you were like top three things people can do to upgrade their their being today hmm. what might those three things be <laughs> laugh more mm. yeah yeah i think that's the that's the primary thing put yourself into environments where where you laugh more it's probably a good reason why you're listening to this podcast and watching any of your content like that's i mean people listening to this would have no no problem with that idea i think um so part of that would be taking yourself less seriously uh you know so any opportunity you can do that how would you recommend people take themselves less seriously you're more of an expert on that yeah i would typically i mean i mentioned a few minutes ago i look at seriousness as a symptom so getting to the root cause of why am i so serious um so at, at times i'll lead people through an exercise to help them get to a, a what they're really afraid of or ashamed of that's causing them to be serious because I think when we're afraid or ashamed, but we're not vulnerable with it, they're meaning we don't feel the shame or the fear feeling when we're feeling it. Instead, we're, we're trying to escape it and we escape it through the seriousness, which is psychological control. We're just like bristling up so we don't have to feel what we're actually feeling right now. And we can pretend we're, we're not afraid. So long story short, I think when we notice what we take most seriously, when we can ask ourselves, what am I actually afraid of here? Hmm. We start to get to towards the cause of the symptom of our seriousness. And honestly, I think when we then connect with what are we actually afraid of here, we need to feel the fucking fear. We need to be willing to hold space and hold the line and respect ourselves and accept ourselves enough where we say, I will be with this fear because it's coming from a part of me. I will no longer reject this part of me that's afraid. I will feel the fear fully and breathe with it. So to me, I mean, that's 
how we digest emotions. And, and so to me, that's a, a quick synopsis of how to take ourselves less seriously. And of course, like supplement to that is remember to laugh. Put yourself in situations, you know, go see a comedian, watch funny videos, yeah. clown around with friends. More. Random art and all that stuff I think is so valuable. Yeah. I'm glad I asked you about how to take yourself less seriously. Well, thank you that for was the legit. question. I would have said like play with cats more often or something. Yeah, take the neck rings off. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing would be just pay attention to your breath. I love that. You know, it's like, it's like as you're walking down the street, something you can do, people do right now is, you know, you can bring your hands to the sides of your ribs and, you know, just see where your breath is at and see if you can start to breathe a little bit more horizontally, breathe out in the side of the ribs, really bring that diaphragm online. You know, and your, your breath is a one-to-one relationship of your psycho-emotional state. Uh, you know, so that would be something that I would have a regular check-in anytime throughout the day. If you're having a conversation, you're getting heated with somebody, uh, you're about to make an important decision, you're about to go up one stage and do a thing that's making you freak out, any of those things. If, you're, if your breath is out of control, then you are out of control. So that would be a primary thing that I would look at for sure. Um, I think, uh, man, there's so many. I mean, that's literally like what the what the book is, is just breaking down little things, walk more, hang more. There's other ones I think that are more valuable though. Compassion, mm. cut yourself slack. Yeah. Yeah, I think compassion, you know, like like love yourself sounds too soft. It, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so uncompassionate of you towards yourself. Right. That's good. That's good. Fucking compassion. Was being... Fucking compassion. But yeah, you, to me... <laughs> <laughs> to me, love yourself, like, to me, it's very appropriate, yet pretty impractical. It's kind of like, oh, what what does that mean? And Yeah, right. It's nebulous. You, but, you know, I think... But it's the core of everything. It, it is. And I think, like, a practical step to help us, you know, go in that direction that ultimately is the best direction, uh, I think treat ourselves the way we treat other people oh yeah jordan pierce had a good thing play the play the game the rules of the game play the game as though you would uh so that you'll be invited back yeah and and i think so many of us are great at being kind to other people i mean i doubt there's a listener of this podcast that's just routinely a jerk to everybody so we're great at being kind to other people and oftentimes we treat ourselves like a second class citizen compared to how we're externally kind. So um, yeah, aim to be invited back by yourself. Why do you think we do that? Is that because of like self-deprecation is like seemingly more socially acceptable? You know, I, it's a good question. I definitely don't know yet. I would guess one reason is... Yeah, it, it's very unsocially acceptable to look at people and say, you're a fucking asshole and you're not worthy. Yep. But when we do that in the quietness of our own self, we don't get punished for it. Like, no, we don't face rejection externally. I mean, we're actually exercising rejection of self internally. So I think one thing is we get away with it more. I mean, I think there's plenty of stuff we project out onto other people as a way of finding our undiscovered self. But because the social consequences of um, being an asshole to other people are just great enough, I think we tend to 
keep most of that treatment directed towards ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I really don't know. Like, is this a phenomenon for a bunch of people or am I just telling a story about myself? Because yeah. I, I know I do this. Yeah, it's kind of, I have some like unpieced thoughts on like the financial system and like the stressors of being financially wealthy and successful mm-hmm. and all that. And the system that we're in is one that demands continual growth. You know, yeah. Because there's a there's an interesting book called Sacred Economy by by uh, Charles Eisenstein. He kind of gets into like the roots of um, our currency, our economics, and it's all based around interest originally. Interesting. You know, so then then wealthy people end up lending more wealth out with more interest attached to it. So there's just this just this interest machine. There's interest everywhere. So the only way to continue to pay that interest off is if we have this continual illusion of growth. Yeah. You know, and so what that does at a at an, an organism level, an individual level, is it puts this this continual, you know, this perennial pressure on you to produce, 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 produce. Yeah. You know, because we all have this sense because of the system that we've been raised up in that if I don't produce, then you know, the shoe's going to drop. I won't be safe. Yeah. And so I think that, I think there's some, some degree of like financial success pressure in there as well. hundred percent. I think we all need a breathing exercise about that for sure. Uh, by the way, brother, I didn't even say it. Congratulations on birthing a book into the world. Thank you. I mean, and it's not just any book. It's a phenomenal book. Um, how's it feel? I'm at a point presently where I care more about, um, I go, I ebb and flow back and forth. It feels for one, it feels the closest thing that I, as a man, I think could, um, be with creating a child other than like an actual child. Um, you know, so that there's, there was an interesting sensation of like, if I left this body and if it died, um, then that's pretty cool that that lives on. That's mostly my ego talking. I would say it would have to be, you know, because who the who the hell cares? Yeah, well, maybe, but I'm I'm not going to shame that. I yeah, but so there's cool. so, so so that was that was one thing that actually like a tangible sensation. I was like, huh, you know, before that there was much, there was a lot of you know moments that even just reflecting on death, like that was something that that I felt as like, no, like I'm I'm not ready. Yeah, you know, and so there was there was some degree of almost like um almost like a tangible release of sorts you know, of pressure. Cause for the last five years or so, I've had this pressure on me of like, Oh, I want to create something. Yeah. Um, so that's been helpful. Uh, but the process of creating the book has been really fascinating. You know, there's been a lot of things. One, having deadlines has been valuable for me. I tend to be more of like a fluid type person. So having the publishers and having this team around it and committing me to that, that's been a huge growth. Um, and also expressing myself, uh, authentically, showing that this is the best that I can do. That's very rare for me. You know, so I think throughout my life, I've kind of like protected myself with excuses of, oh, like, ah, I didn't get enough sleep last night. Like, yeah. I, you know, or, oh, I, you know, I didn't really care about that. Or I was like, I really give many <laughs> shits about the book. Yeah. And I had a whole fucking year to write it. Yeah. Be like, this is the best I can do. And it's my face on the front. And it's my name on the bottom. And if you don't like it, it's, it, fall, it falls back on me. Yeah. Like that's something that I've avoided for most of my life. I love that. Risking playing full out. By the way, there's a huge like code for a beautiful life right in there. Being, being willing to go all out, do your absolute best. 
and risk having that not being enough. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, if we're trying to protect ourselves from our absolute best being rejected in some way, we're always self-sabotaging. We're always playing at 90% or less, yep. oftentimes way less than that. So that inevitably when we do fail and some shit we do, we'll definitely fail. No, no question about that. But when it does, we get to have this little nerf cushion we land on that says like, oh, yeah, well... I didn't play full out on that. I I didn't, I didn't 100% give a shit about it. I didn't let my best come out, but I love it when we can let our best come out. Yeah. We fear our potential more than failing. That's like a paraphrase of Marianne Williamson. She's got, she says it better. I think she paraphrased Nelson Mandela about that. I think he was the original. (laughs) And he probably fucking stole it from someone. His quote thieves. (laughs) Yeah. The quotes are so funny. I think, I wonder how much of your book or my book, I wonder how much of it is genuine. Not genuine, like like authentic, like JP. Did, that was that was a JP sentence right there. Mm. As opposed to a, a conflation sen- of lots of different information yeah. that you've gathered over time, and then you're putting in between two. I I think <laughs> I think that's a great thing to be curious about myself. <laughs> there, there, for, on that note, uh, I intentionally don't watch that much stand up comedy on Netflix. I'll certainly hit some of the heavy hitters, oh, Bill Burr and uh, Chappelle, and but for various reasons, one of them being like, I, I want to not be influenced to do it like someone else. That's great. And, and the other thing is like, I don't want to have jokes or perspectives go into my mind. I consciously forget them, subconsciously remember them. And then they sprout out over here, you know, into my awareness one day. And I think that's something I thought of because like in comedy, like there's, you know, it is a huge taboo to steal jokes. Yeah. And I would never do that intentionally. Yet my fear is I would accidentally do that unintentionally. Yeah. 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 So the I original think it, I thought. Think it's, I think it's all inevitable. Yeah. Uh. Probably. So, hey, where's the best place people can grab the new, the Align Method? The Align book, Method. Um, well, so this will probably go out before, so it comes out December 24th and if it's before then you go to the alignbook.com, A-L-I-G-N, um, and then there's bonuses and all the things with that. Um, so the goal is that it's a excellent Christmas gift. So it comes out right before then. Um, and then after that, after December 24th, 2020, bookstores, you know, Amazon, all the places, Love and that. then people can, if they give a dang, I will. Uh, I look. For, I, I'm probably just going to co-release this because I feel like this was. I would like to have this on awesome. the Align Podcast as Amazing. well. Amazing. Hello, Align Podcast yeah. listeners. So, where should people look for you when that's on in your side of the world? Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate you asking. Yeah. Uh, all my social medias are Awaken with JP. So YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all the spots. Cool. Um, and yeah, thank you, brother. The linemethod.com. Thank you for linepodcast.com. The alignbook.com. It's very confusing. I apologize. But what? The, so, the alignpodcast.com is my website. The alignbook.com goes directly to the book. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and those both links will be in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, brother, thank you for writing this beautiful masterpiece. Thank you for taking the time to stop by and connect. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks for being a light in the world. Mm. You're welcome. (laughs) 
Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I want to present y'all with a fun opportunity of starting a program that I created called the Align Method Online Program that focuses on unwinding the unsightly patterns of staring into technology, essentially. So forward head posture, roll forward shoulders, hyperkyphotic spine, disengage glutes, knees collapsing in. If there's collapse in any level in the body, it will trickle up and down through the rest of the system. And that program focuses on unwinding those things, giving you self-care practices, movement practices, and lifestyle adjustments, very subtle ones, that will give y'all more flexibility, more strength, more confidence, more energy, all the good things. Um, and you can start the first week absolutely free and just go to alignpodcast.com slash align method, A-L-I-G-N method. Along with that guy, you will receive the Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band with a door anchor, and that also comes with its own online program that is free with that thing. Go to alignband.com and start that program for free. Um, I think that's it. I so greatly appreciate you guys listening to this conversation. So greatly appreciate reviews on iTunes, sharing uh, on the Instagrams or the Facebooks or wherever you do your shares. Uh, this program goes on lives on because of y'all so um it doesn't go unnoticed thank you for listening thank you for reviews thanks for joining your life enjoy <laughs>